Thank you, Jessica. Rather subdued group this morning. Is it the rain? <clears throat> so I guess we can only take but so much gloom, right? I think uh, Corky told me this morning, uh, be ready at about 1130, be waiting at the end of the sidewalk because no one in his ark will come and pick us up. We are in the gospel of Matthew availing ourselves to the teachings of Christ. We're in chapter 19 in the first 12 verses, and we are looking at three sermons in this passage because really Jesus talks about three topics, although they are all interrelated. He talks about marriage, he talks about divorce, and he talks about singleness. And this morning we will look at, again, a little more to cover regarding marriage, and then we will examine what Jesus has to say about singleness with an assist from 1 Corinthians chapter 7 from the Apostle Paul. But I do want to say, as I was just thinking, as Jessica was playing that music, thinking about Christ and, uh, and the message and marriage, um, I realized that God has really blessed me with three excellent examples of marriage to follow and a model after and um, as I was newly married and, and understanding what marriage was, uh, there were people that God just brought into my life. Um, the first, of course, are my parents. My parents offer an excellent example of what marriage is. Uh, they were not they're not they're not as overtly Christian as we are as a congregation. Uh, but the commitment there, uh, the love, the, the cherishing, the, the honor is there in their relationship there's um, I can't ever remember my dad other than raising his voice a couple times only because my mom provoked him, her stubborn streak. Uh, but he, he just treated my mom with with great care and she treats him with tenderness and they are still together to this very day. And so as as I think about marriage, I just look at this example. Uh, they dug deep into their their really their Christian faith to make it work and had nine children. Um, as a legacy, I also think about Grammy and Grampy as an example of marriage. They probably don't realize it, but all throughout the years, as they have submitted their themselves to the scripture and how they relate to one another and how they, uh, you know, navigate the course of life together, they have stood as a great example for me to look at. And then not so much now, but in the past, in my formative years, Roy and Charlotte Meekins, who were right through the woods there, the house on the left as you come up the driveway, um, was engaged to Lisa, living with them at the time. And they were exemplifying what a Christian marriage looks like because I was kind of curious, what is a Christian marriage? I'm about to get into one. So what exactly is it? And I was somewhat deprived of biblical teaching growing up. I deprived myself of that. Not that I was literally deprived by others, but I wasn't interested in it. And countless times I saw uh, Roy uh, defer to Charlotte's needs. And he would be busy on the farm doing something that I thought was very important. And she would call him in or ask for his help for things that I thought were way less important. And I'm thinking to myself, uh, this is not a good time. And he stopped what he was doing. And he would help her plant a flower or whatever it was. And I was just thinking, wow. What a what a guy. Is that what Christian marriage is all about? So I just God and I know that not everybody has those kind of examples. So I just wanted to publicly thank the Lord for the examples that he has brought into my life. 
So we're looking at marriage and I have taken more of an overview approach to these big topics that we could spend all year on, really. I mean, how many books were written about marriage, divorce or even fewer so singleness? Um, and so maybe some of the teaching has left you with more answers or questions than answers. I don't know, but continue to research it and continue to press in. But I've taken the overview approach to this. And you might be thinking, well, you didn't hardly say anything about procreation and procreation is an important part of marriage. And there are other things. And that's true. Um, I could have spent a lot of time on different topics, marriage being about purity and procreation. John MacArthur, um, he summarizes marriage with with six P's. And so he kind of catches all the different things that Scripture says about it. So you have procreation. Uh, you have it's for the purpose of pleasure, for the purpose of uh, purity, for the purpose of provision and for the purpose of a picture. That is the picture of Christ's love for his church. And then the one that we looked at, he calls partnership. He says that's the key to marriage, which agrees with the position of companionship being the primary purpose. Friendship, the primary purpose. So I didn't cover all those things, but there I talked about them. So now we can move on with our text. Um, we looked a little bit about into divorce and divorce. It is always a result of sin, but we learn that divorce in and of itself is not always a sin. And I want to say one more thing that's very important to me before I moved on. And that is um, I had in my notes last week and sometimes I don't follow them very closely. And so I forgot it. And it was a, I almost got up after the sermon to said to say something. But in Scripture, when it comes to marriage and sometimes really hard marriages or whether I should divorce or not, what, what does God have for me in this? Um, I just want to say, though, it's not explicitly in Scripture regarding Abuse, physical, sexual abuse, even within marriage, it is absolutely immoral. It is wrong. It is criminal. And so if you find yourself in that position with with spouse or with children, any kind of abuse, get help, get out to get safe and get help. I, ju I just want to put that in there. I know that uh, marriage can um, there can be. Different elements of suffering, but this is one area that you don't want to to play with. So I uh, just want to communicate that clearly, get help. And in all of these areas, we want to trust God. God can fix anything. God's plan for the world to get it back right is to turn it back to God. That's how God fixes the world. That's what Christ has come to do is to turn all things back to their creator. And praise and worship. And so we want to trust God with what we have. So let me read one last time the first 12 verses of Matthew 19. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, and here's where we're this is where we're going to camp this morning. If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying. But only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. So the questions that we want to examine this morning in this passage are. Should I marry? Or should I remain single? Verse 10, the disciples, thinking out loud, if you will, say, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. What are they asking? What are they saying? Well, they're responding. They've been processing this teaching in light of their lives, processing Jesus's words in light of what they were raised with and what they had been taught and what happens in their culture. And Jesus's words really shocked them how 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 strict he was in this this uh, topic of marriage has kind of floored them. And so they're processing what his words might mean to them in their lives and what those words might mean to them as they help other people that come to Christ and want to understand what they should do and what direction they should take their marriages Because the picture that Christ painted didn't really fit into their cultural understanding of marriage. And I know that divorce is is very rampant today in our culture, but it was rampant even within Judaism. It was not at all an uncommon thing. It was very common. It was even taught. Divorce was even taught. So it was it was understood. And there was just a mindset that they grew up with. And just to uh, read you a few quotes from the Talmud, which is a Jewish interpretation of the scriptures. Um, it was their norm. One one scholar said a bad wife is like leprosy to her husband. What is the remedy? Let him divorce her and be cured of his leprosy. So these are the kind of. Uh, This is the mindset here. Another one, if a man has a bad wife, it is a religious duty to divorce her. Uh, So that's kind of the mindset here. And this, of course, turned into some silly reasons for divorce, uh, some selfish reasons for divorce. But if you get a bad wife, it's your duty just to end it. So that's kind of the mindset there. So you weren't it wasn't this mindset that, wow, I'm in this for life. Uh, I better really take care of my relationship here because it's it's forever. 
And then Jesus comes and they ask him this question with that cultural understanding. And then he just basically says, no, divorce is wrong. That's not how it's supposed to be. It's not how marriage works. This is what you've turned it into. But this is how God designed it. And marriage is very strict, the terms. I would venture to say that it is the scriptural understanding of marriage is stricter than most of our understanding of those of us that are in this room this morning. There is very little wiggle room. And there's so many questions out there about, well, what is a valid reason, a biblical reason to bring an end to this? And scripture has very little to, to say about how to bring an end, but it has a lot to say about how to make it last and what it's supposed to look like. So Jesus's teaching was basically turn it around, whatever situation you're in, turn it around, turn your eyes toward your spouse and live in submission to your God in your relationship. And it hit them hard. So they uh, they're thinking about the permanency of it. And I think they ask a very valid question as they're they're processing this. Well, if that's true. I mean, if if marriage is forever in this mortal life and in light of how people change. Then it's it's probably better just to not even get into it at all. If that's the case, if you're stuck Maybe stuck with what you might think is the wrong person. And the obvious answer is rather than risk that is to not even get into it at all. Because, I mean, you know, it happens. And I'm sure they had seen it in their culture. We see it in our culture. Sometimes relationships built on certain things, they start out strong. And next thing you know, you're in marital prison. You just feel stuck and stifled. And you think, well, who, who is this person? You're not the same person I married. And that's a lot to think about. You married a dud. You've seen on TV where people are, are imagining what it would be like to marry this person. And you see them in their glitter in their young days. And then 10, 20, 30 years down the road, they're there with a big beer belly or curls in their hair or whatever. You know, and it's kind of, ah, no, I don't think I'll go that direction. These things happen. It's a part of life. And so as we think about Spending our lives with just one person. Wow. Maybe it would be based on what I see, based on what I feel. Maybe it'd be better just not even to get in this because God's teachings are so strict. Wow. Avoid it altogether. Uh, what are the chances of me finding that one person that will make me happy the rest of my life? You might make me happy now, but. Will you make me happy and make me feel good the rest of my life? What are the chances of that happening? Well, that whole statement was just flawed. And that's a sermon within itself. Trying to find that person that's going to make me happy the rest of my life is not the right way to approach a relationship. And that's why we have a lot of failures today, because we use each other to try to make ourselves happy as if we are commodities and that we set ourselves up for a failure. So that's what they're wrestling with. Now, we wrestle with the same or something very similar today, as you know. We don't have the best track record when it comes to marriage, even within the church. So we have our young people. Now, what kind of examples do they have? Now, as I opened up with, I was very fortunate to have solid examples of marriage. 
I know people that don't have any family members that are still married. They don't even know what it's like for people to get married and actually stay together. I literally know people that can go through aunts and uncles, brothers, sisters, parents, whatever. Nobody in their family stayed together. So we have this young generation and they're, you know, they, they still have the, the romantic feelings and they still want companionship because that's a natural longing that God created us with. So how are you going to work that out? How are you going to apply it? So they look into the world and they see adults and they see how marriage is working in our culture and it's not doing so good. So what are, what are they to conclude? Now, as you read in the media today, many people have concluded that marriage is defunct. It no longer works. We need to evolve into something better. We need to change it because it's failing us. Now, of course, Jesus said, no, marriage is not failing us. Our own hearts are failing us. But but we draw these conclusions. So the the disciples are wrestling with this. Jesus, you just set the standard for monogamy like way up here. And I'm. I'm thinking it's unattainable. And our culture has kind of reached the same conclusion. Marriage, the traditional view of marriage, it's no longer attainable. It's the standards too high. And also, I know people that are in relationships and they're determined to stay together and they're nothing but miserable. And they're not fun to be around and all they're they're at each other's throats, but they're yet they're going to stay together. So this, this cultural idea and picture that we have amongst ourselves. What else are we supposed to do when you kind of take marriage out of the picture because it's too high of a standard or the examples that we have or see don't seem to work very well? We still have these longings. What do we do with these longings? Well, in that day, uh, they were at least still fairly moral. So they would uh, divorce and get remarried and try to stay faithful within that relationship in our day and age, uh, the conclusion is since marriage doesn't really work, plus it's a prison to have to make a commitment to somebody for life. What are my options? I still want the thrill. I still want romance and I still need companionship. So the answer today is just casual relationships. You just move on from one person to the next. And so you hang in there as long as you can and try to make it work. And when it fails, you just move on to the next person. And better luck next time. Next, thank you very much. And you look into your phone. There's even modern, different modern terms and cliches for, um, for casual dating and moving on and all these kind of things that I won't go into. So that's kind of where we have landed as a culture. And that's not very satisfying or fulfilling either, because when you think about it, what's the kind of relationship that you can really build your life on, that you can really trust a a relationship that I can really be vulnerable and invest my whole self in? Why would I do that if if you're just going to pull the rug out from under my feet time and time again? The really commitment is the answer. And I think that was Jesus's teaching. That, that promise, that covenant, it's the answer. It's the best foundation for the closest possible expression of love, admiration, adoration. It's covenant commitment. So the disciples say, that might be too painful. I don't know if it's worth it. Is it better to not marry? 
Do we find that conclusion in the Bible? Does the scripture say marriage is such a high standard that you shouldn't do it? We don't find that in scripture at all. The Bible says marriage is a good thing. It is something that we should seek to do. It is something that we should desire. It's God's design to to complete our longings for companionship. So we turn to Proverbs 18.22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So you have two things in that one verse. You find a good thing and that word means beneficial. And the word good means favor from the Lord. So to find a spouse is to bring something into your life that you need that will benefit you, that will that will help you and and um, and raise your level of satisfaction and contentment. And not only that, but you have God's favor. God takes pleasure in in the things that we delight in, the, the, the pleasures that we have within his boundaries. God wants us to thrive. He wants us to be happy. He wants us to experience all kind of pleasures. And so when we come together as husband and wife in that way and and join together as one flesh and take pleasure. And it's like God giving us the thumbs up. That's what I had in mind. Exactly. That's it. A big smiley face emoji. Proverbs 19, 14 house and wealth are inherited from fathers. But a prudent wife is from the Lord. I don't know what that says about an imprudent wife, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. So in this verse, God takes the credit. I mean, God is so involved in unions. We don't realize what a spiritual experience it is and how involved it is. So he takes the credit for this when with the pleasures that a good, sensible wife brings to a man. Now, this is all just me. I never didn't read this anywhere. But as I was looking at scripture and thinking about marriage in the in the Bible, you have the men divorcing the wives. That's kind of because that was a that was the culture there. The, the men took the lead in that. But from the standpoint of scripture to to gain a wife for a man to bring a wife or a good woman into his life like it is an incredible blessing and he just his he just skyrocketed his life and the benefits that we get so the scripture paints a picture of guys you need a good wife attain a good wife because it will be incredible what this person will do for you and of course it feeds right into the complementary approach to marriage and that is we come at marriage with different gifts Different things to offer, different personalities and and views and skills and mindsets. And you and you mesh them together. And when you bring those two gifts together, then you really thrive as one flesh. But scripture paints that picture. Man, if you got a good wife, you have really, really benefited yourself, guys. And women in the scripture, women are constantly bailing men out. Let's be honest. They are constantly bailing men out. I mean, Eve bailed Adam out. He was pretty miserable. Stuck with animals. Nice flowers, nice vegetation, but God, nobody like me. So Eve bailed him and, and throughout the scripture. So it's a wonderful thing. Marriage is a 
good thing. It's a blessing. Don't let being glued to one person for the unforeseen future scare you away. That's not the message of Scripture. Be terrified of marriage. But the message of Scripture is you want to have a healthy fear of it because it is for life. It's designed to be for life. So you don't want to go into it callously or carelessly or foolishly or based on a little emotional whim or I had too much to drink and I woke up with a a ring on my finger. These kind of things. Not a good idea because Scripture holds marriage in such a in, in high esteem. And so I think we would certainly want to find the right person to become one flesh with for our lives. So we want to use our God-given abilities, sensibilities, common sense in choosing a spouse. And it's probably not the model on the cover of that magazine because or that celebrity that you may be crushing on. Our culture feeds us and trains us to think that physical attributes are an end to, a means to the end of happiness and bliss in relationships. If you can find that person that has that certain look and real popular, physically attractive, you're set. That's what our minds are trained to think in our culture. And sadly, many of us fall for it. But, but what does Scripture say that who should we really be looking for? The characteristics that we should really be zeroing in on as far as finding a spouse that we can go the distance with is godly character. Be equally yoked of what? Godly character. Be, being equally yoked has to do with believing in Christ to begin with. So those are the attributes that we should really focus in on. Not that physical is wrong. Beauty is wrong. God created it. God is beautiful. But that's not that's not the the main attribute. That's not going to carry us to term in a marriage. The physical it's the godly character. So we want to back off if any of us are in, you know, the brink of some kind of relationship or thinking about it or whatever. We want to back off of unwise decisions in this area. We want to look for godly character. Somebody that actually can back up their commitment. Good looks aren't going to back up a covenant commitment. Perfectly pearly white teeth don't always doesn't mean that those white teeth always tell the truth. Or a good, nice tan. Or physical enhancements. They don't tell anything to you about the kindness of this person or the forgiveness of this person. It's the godly character that we want to zero in on the real proof that that person is living for Christ. I've been lo- I've been around long enough to watch people fake it. To young people, they fall in love. One of them doesn't really believe in Christ, or if they do, only God knows it. But all of a sudden, they realize, well, the scriptures say we got to be equally yoked. So the only way I get to marry this person that I really love is to is to pretend I'm a Christian. And so they pretend they're a Christian for a while and then they get into this union and eventually it goes turns in the wrong direction. I've seen it time and time again. Real, proven, godly character living for Christ, not just physical infatuation. Beauty was never intended to carry the weight of a relationship. 
And when you look at how our culture lives and how it advertises, you would think finding somebody physically attractive, you're set for life. And that's just too much weight to put on a relationship. That's just one part of it. A relationship can't stand on that forever. Scripture says that beauty is vain, meaning it's empty. There's a place for it, but it can only go so far. And if that's what we're looking for, if we're single in a relationship, we might be headed for hardship. Godly character. Love for Christ. When you come together as one, you want to make sure that that person is deep, as deeply in love and their roots and they, they have the same values to build a life on, to build a relationship on. Godly character. A woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Fearing God is what we want to look for in this sacred marriage. Marriage is an incredible gift from God. And so scripture says, yes, yes, it's a good thing. Go for it. But be wise. Fear, fear it in the sense of stay within God's guidelines that he has given you. So that's what they want to know. Should I even enter into such a thing? And God says, yes, he blesses it. But there's something else that God blesses. And that brings us to the second question. Well, what about singleness? Maybe it's too much. It's not worth the risk, and I should just remain single. So the idea here is, um, you know, if, if you are a moral person and you realize, golly, that's such a, a hard thing to do. I don't think I should get married, um, but I'm not going to be Im immoral, sexually immoral, because I'm a Christian. So where does that leave me? I guess I should stay single all my life. That's what they're wrestling with. And Jesus answers that question, well, not everybody can receive the same. And he goes into a teaching. And he talks about eunuchs, different grades of eunuchs. And eunuchs are men that do not have the uh, all of their reproductive equipment. And they may be born that way. And so, therefore, they don't really have a desire for a woman like somebody with their reproductive equipment might have. Uh and so some people are born that way, he says, which is true. And also some people are made that way. And it was popular in that day for um, people in power like kings or dignitaries who had harems. They wanted men to watch over their harems, but they didn't want men to get too close to their harems. And so they would physically castrate the males. Uh, to get the best of both worlds from the king's point of view. So that is a physical sense. But then Jesus, what he's doing here is he's bringing a spiritual application to it. And he's saying that there are people in a spiritual sense who who make the choice to basically be, be married to God, if you will, to only put all of their efforts and their passions and their desire. They have more desire to serve God than to be in a relationship with a spouse. But he says not everybody can receive this. So what he just did is he opened the door for legitimate singleness. But he's saying, you know, OK, guys, you're saying marriage is too hard. 
I'm not going to be sexually immoral, so I think I'll just stay single. And he's basically saying, yeah, there's there's a place for that, but it's hard and not just anybody can do it. You have to be able to receive it. So there are circumstances that can bring people to that place. And it's not for everybody. But what he is saying is it's a valid and an equal part of God's plan. There are real people that make this decision and whose hearts burn for God. And they might have, you know, little twinges and, and, and entertain the idea of marriage or God, is this what you're calling me to? But in the end, they land with no. I am I am more satisfied in fulfilling my calling of singleness than if I were to get into a relationship. That would be wrong for me. It is an absolute legitimate calling, just like marriage is a calling. Singleness is a calling. And just like marriage is a gift from God, singleness is a gift from God. And God equips different people for what he calls them to. Just that a lot of people can't handle the alternative. Uh, If you try to be single when you're not meant to be single, you will drive yourself crazy. And Jesus knows that. So the chapter seven, let me just read a few verses, um, actually several verses in first Corinthians chapter seven to get an idea of this teaching. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish it all or as myself. As I myself am, but each has his own gift from God. One of one kind and one of another to the unmarried and the widows. I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Verse 17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Verse 26, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. So you see that the Corinthians were wrestling with this idea of marriage and singleness and how it all pans out. And the Apostle Paul is bringing real life matters in into their minds and say, hey, not everybody has a self-control for this. So God has a place for everybody. And it's a little it's a legitimate place that you can serve him in. And there's a sense in which really uh, both all of us are called to both for some season of time. Because there's a time where all of us are single. And so as singles, um, if we're not sure what God's gift or calling is, we want to just embrace where God has us. And not fight against him and rage against him, but to be open to what God has for us in our lives. 
But if you are called to a permanent singleness, the idea is that God will gift you in that area. He will strengthen you in that area. You will be the most fulfilled in that area. So see what God has for you as Paul's teaching and embrace whatever it is. Otherwise, you'll be very frustrated walking outside of the lighted path that we sang about this morning. But it's the other thing that Paul is teaching and it's very important for us to understand is that neither one, neither calling, neither gift is more superior than the other. It's some the Jews in that culture said marriage is superior. It's a superior position to take before God because God commands us to be married and to procreate, to have children. But then there were others that were saying, no, 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 no. Singleness makes you more spiritual because I'm devoting my entire life to the things of God. Whereas you, as a married man or woman, you're having to vote to devote much of your life to your family. So you have those priorities. So this is the more, more spiritual state, more pleasing to God for me to stay single. And the Apostle Paul is saying, no, God has something different for different people. And neither one is any better. It's, it just depends on what God has called you to. Both are very important for the kingdom. Both have their place in the kingdom. And you serve God in that capacity. Now, marriage is, is, more, nor, is, is more popular. And God calls many more people to be married than single. Because, of course, if you're single, you couldn't even been here in the first place if somebody didn't get married or get together. But uh, so marriage is but there's a place and equal place for singleness. And we don't always look at that as a church because marriage is held in such high esteem. We want to be careful. That doesn't mean that we demote singleness. So there are single people. There's nothing wrong with them. They don't need to be fixed. They don't need counseling. That's just their calling in life. And they are equal. They are on equal footing. So we want to uh, Jesus. I mean, singles have that example to point to. Look at Jesus. Now, he he was raised in a family. He witnessed the marriage of his mother and father. He had brothers and sisters, so he knows the family life. But he was single. And he's the most perfect example of humanity ever. And by all intents and purposes, we think John the Baptist was single. I don't know who he could get to marry him anyway. With his diet and his dress. So there is a place there. But verse 17 in 1 Corinthians 7, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned them and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. I know that even in our day and age, there are, you know, the Catholic Church uh, and there's other churches that that hold singleness in high esteem as if it is the most spiritual state. So you have people that like nuns and priests that say my life is devoted. I'm a bride of Christ. My life is devoted to God alone. There's a place for that. There's a calling for that. But it's not a superior place, nor is marriage. Superior. So the idea is whatever you find yourself in, that's Paul's kind of bottom line in this teaching. Because the Corinthians had all kinds of different relationships going on. They were not all good. About everything that we have in our culture today, they have it. He says, wherever you are, where you find yourself in serving God right now, stay like that. 
If you're, if you're married, stay married. If you're single and you don't have a desire to be married, you're not called to remarry, stay like that. Just serve the Lord. Embrace where God has you to bring Him glory. So there's our teaching in Matthew 19. May God bless the preaching of His Word this morning.